Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Let's talk about some questions and answers. It's always precarious on my behalf when I don't come in with a, you know, pre-planned, pre-determined, you know, determined, you know, course of action. It's kind of like, well, what if nobody has a question? Well, we got some that came in via email, uh, but I, I and we'll, we'll throw those up there if, if we if we if we want to. They might be from you, so I want to throw them up there. But I want to first open the floor for any questions that may be um, from you who are here, since you're here. Um, couple of disclaimers. I am not the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't have all the answers. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives in you and his job, if you will, as Jesus says in John 14 and John 16, clearly his role is to guide you into the truth. Okay. So in other words, don't just simply take my word for anything. That's part of the reason why the church in general has gotten into such a dysfunction and so far from what the gospel really is is because oh well that's what that guy up there says you know especially during the dark ages and just kind of continue that's what he says so that must be the way it is in fact during the dark ages they wouldn't even translate the bible into the modern vernacular because the clergy thought the laity were not smart enough to even understand it and just terrible terrible times and that just i think sort of continues and so I'll share my thoughts on a question that you may have, but I'm not, I am not scripture, right? I'm not the authority, but I certainly seek to encourage you in whatever the question may be. So with that disclaimer, um, let's just go ahead and open up. Did anybody come with, or anybody have a particular question that you would um, like to throw out? It's always the first one. It's the most awkward one. Like, oh, I don't want to be the first one to ask a question. So we'll just start with the second question. All right. So let's just forget the first. We already did the first. Let's start with the second. Who's got the second question this morning? Yeah, Craig. See? So much easier. Let me do that. I'm a teacher, so I know how to. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's got a question. Um, so Hebrews was a big turning point in our church. And some Bibles will say definitively this is the epistle of Paul. Some say author unknown. I know that I've been in some side conversations with you. Do you have a thought as to who might be the author and the context of Hebrews and his expertise on the Old and New Covenants, if we need to know the author or if knowing the author adds anything to that? So in light okay. of it being a gem in the New Testament, the fact that we're not sure who wrote it, is that a big deal? No. Okay, great. And I might walk towards you when you ask the question just so that we get it onto the podcast because we don't have our little microphone you know that we used to pa that we pass around at the elementary at the middle school um so the question is does it really who wrote hebrews and does it matter 
we went through, if you weren't with us, we went through Hebrews, um, gosh, maybe a year. You guys just started coming to the church when we went through Hebrews, yeah. And so um, the question is, we don't know who wrote it. It doesn't say in Hebrews what, who wrote it. And ultimately, does it really matter who wrote it? And so it's a great question. Um, the, the, uh, yes, I agree 100% that it is a gem. Uh, J-G-E-M. It's a gem. It is amazing. I think it's one of the most, one of the least understood, less, least studied, read, believed books of the entire Bible. There's this obscure passage in chapter 6 that makes people think that it's a means by which you can lose your salvation. But if you read the whole context, he's saying the exact opposite. It is, it is the exact opposite. And so because of this one little obscure verse that people take out of context, and it sounds like you can lose your salvation, most evangelicals just steer clear of Hebrews. And I wish that wasn't the case. So who wrote it? Does it matter? And, you know, all that jazz. So in my opinion, and I'm trying to uh, real quickly uh, look for uh, the, the verse here. In my opinion, Paul did not write Hebrews. Um, yeah, here it is. Uh, no, that's not it. Because, and if you can find it, uh, it's in the first couple of chapters of the book. He, whoever, he or she, whoever wrote Hebrews, he's, first of all, he's writing to a Jewish audience, okay? That's why it's called Hebrews. He's writing to Jews who are literally on the fence of whether or not they're going to give up their Judaism and become believers or if they're going to step back into Judaism and forget Christ. And so if we don't come into it with that understanding, then we're going to, if we think it's written to Gentile Christians, then we're going to pull away some misunderstandings from it. But it's written to Jews who, some are believers, but there's many who are not. Because when he says phrases like, fall away from grace... Well, if you're falling away from grace, in, in today's vernacular, if you say, oh, so-and-so fell from grace, we think, well, they must have done a lot of sinning. They fell from grace, you know. Preacher ran off with the secretary. He fell from grace, right? You've heard that phrase, that idea thrown around. But what in Hebrews, because that's where the phrase comes from, fall from grace, what, what he's talking about is these people are on the precipice of actually letting go of Judaism, this rule-based religion of the Old Covenant, which is no more. I mean, that's the whole point of Hebrews. God no longer recognizes the Old Covenant. And to embrace the New Covenant, a promise made between the Father and the Son, and we are beneficiaries by faith. And if we come to that precipice and we decide not to believe it, we are falling away from grace, and where are we falling, falling back into? Starts with an L, ends with an awe. Law. So to fall from grace is to fall into law. So that's a big misunderstanding today. And so it's definitely, in my opinion, written by a Jew for Jews. So Paul could be that because he was a Jew, and he obviously hung out with Jews. But there's a passage in here, and if you can find it, where he talks about how he received the gospel. Um, and he says specifically that it was handed down from someone and then to him. And now he is proclaiming it uh, 
to to others. And so you get this this uh, connection that someone taught this person, and this person is now teaching others. That's the the chronology chronology that you you see in this. And if you can, if anybody sees that offhand, I'm, I'm trying to scan scan for it. I can't see it, but I know it's in the first couple of chapters. But in my opinion, that is not at all how Paul would describe himself as having received the gospel. Paul did not receive the gospel by hearing it from someone else and then he shares it with others. In Galatians, Paul says that I received this gospel by no human hand, by no man. I received this gospel by revelation what? of Jesus Christ. And so Paul definitely would not say, hey, I received this from these men and then now I share it with you, which is what the writer of Hebrews says. And if anybody can find that exact passage uh, in the first couple of chapters, that'd be fantastic. But if you can't find it, you know, you can read it later. So I don't think based upon that, uh, that Paul wrote Hebrews, but I could, it could be wrong. It doesn't really matter to me to answer the last part of your question, who wrote it? Because obviously the early church leadership and the early church fathers, they recognized it as a valid scripture and therefore passed it around through you know, the early church. And we you know, have it in our Bibles today. Anybody see that passage that I'm talking about? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does. That's, that's my argument for how I don't think it's Paul, but. But if you find it, you know, feel free to answer. So I don't know if that answer. So there are other thoughts are, you know, one of the other apostles. I mean, there's just no way of knowing. I just don't think it was Paul. Any other thoughts on that before we ever have a thought on the authorship of Hebrews? It's just interesting that the most impactful book in our church is the one that the main author credited. Yeah. Which is maybe the author. For it might be. <laughs> yeah. And it might be unsigned because it was a death sentence too in the, in the you know, Jewish community. I mean, remember, he's telling them that the Old Testament law and the priestly tribe of Levi is no more. That's a death. I mean, if you write that, you leave that on the bathroom stall, somebody's going to come beat you up. You know, that's, that's death to whoever. Melchizedek is greater than Aaron. I mean, that, that's death sentence. So maybe that's why he didn't write. I, I don't know. Great question. Awesome. Uh, and again, if anybody sees that little, it's in the first three or four chapters. Um, where he, he says that whoever, that we receive this by others, you know, feel free to shout that out, even if it's later on in the morning. Cool. Any other questions that we might have about the gospel, about Christianity? I mean, life, it could be something specific, something general. Yeah. I guess you kind of partially addressed this in the sentence that I start off with Hebrews, because that was one of the things I was going to ask to you drill into a little bit more of, I guess, yeah, particularly in 6 where it talks about um, for those who want to share in the spirit but then fall away, it's possible to come back to repentance. I guess I was wondering what you think they yeah. mean by falling away. 
Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so let's go there. Um, chapter 6. Now, I have a New King James. I usually teach out of the uh, New American Standard, but I have a New King James here this morning because my iPad uh, broke. I dropped it doing a wedding. A couple, no, yeah, it, whatever it was, I dropped it and the screen, you can't read from it. And I actually don't have a printed New American Standard Bible, you know. Well, it's fine. I mean, this, this is right. I pre- appreciate it. Um, but it's what I've, but I, what I certainly prefer. But um, so, uh, there, so remember, the flow of Hebrew so far is he is beginning to uh, build this argument as to why Judaism in general is inferior. It, 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 it no lo- the religion of Judaism is no more. And he wants to, he's, he's sort of frustrated, he wants to take them on to deeper things regarding Melchizedek and regarding, you know, the, the priestly uh, line of Jesus who is greater than, than, than Aaron. He wants to lead them there, but he says, I can't, I can't lead you guys. I can't, we can't even get into that right now because you guys don't understand how righteousness actually works. This is toward the end of chapter six. You don't even know how righteousness works. You think Jews, religious Jews, that righteousness works by your behavior. The more behavior you do, the more righteous you become. So to, to talk about Jesus being greater than Melchizedek, I mean, uh, Melchizedek being greater than Aaron and Jesus being in the line of Melchizedek, we can't even go there because you think that righteousness comes by your doing and not by faith. And so in that general context, he says, Therefore, this is beginning of chapter 6. Leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So dead works, what are those dead works? That's those, that concept of behavior makes you okay. Let's leave that. Let's, let's change our mind about that. Um, and of faith towards toward God of the doctrine of baptism laying on the hand of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. We want to move on to that for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain, remember for, F-O-R, that always explains, this helps explain what was just said. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those whom God it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed those who are being and whose end is to be burned. Now we'll pause here. I think verse nine is important. Remind me to go to verse nine if we don't do that, okay? So he says that these people, whoever these hypothetical people are, it is impossible, verse four, once you've been enlightened, you, you've, 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 been, you've seen the truth, You've tasted the heavenly gift. You've been even partaker of the Holy Spirit. And you've tasted the good word. It's impossible if you fall away, if you've come to that point and you fall away. What Again, what does fall away mean? Does it mean go out and sin a whole bunch? 
Maybe, but in this context, it's clearly mean you've come to that precipice of placing your faith and trust in Christ. But if you choose to fall away, and what are these Jews falling away back into? They're falling away back into Judaism. If you fall away, there remains no sacrifice for your sin. And so, in my understanding, and I could be wrong, we'll open up the floor. There's a call. You hear it? In my understanding, he uses these words very, very uh, specifically. He says, those who have uh, tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, Andrew Farley has a good teaching on this, uh, so this isn't original with me. But you know how you go to Sam's? We go to Sam's every other Thursday, and the kids love it. They love it because they always want to get the what? The samples. And so you go down the aisle, and you pick up the little you know, toothpick, you know, and you eat it, or the little cup, you throw it in the mouth. And you what? You taste it. And then you have a choice. Do I want to go over to the freezer section and get the, you know, cordon bleu, you know, that I just tasted? It was really good. Or do I not? And so this idea of they've tasted it, they they know what it is. They know what it could be. They know the truth. But if you don't swallow, if you don't receive it, and you decide instead to follow uh, fall away from it and go to the other aisle and get, you know, the, the beef burritos instead. Hey, that's your choice, but it's going to come a consequence. So I hear this phrase and even where he says, uh, and been partakers of the Holy Spirit. We, we hear partaker of the Holy Spirit and we think well, they've been born of the Holy Spirit. But is that what he said? Did he say they've been born of the Holy Spirit? He simply says they've, they've, been part, they've been partaker. They have seen what the Holy Spirit has done. In Ju- uh, Jerusalem, and remember in the first 10 years or so after Jesus left, there were miracles galore by the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 to start with. But I mean, Peter's shadow was even healing people. Miracles galore. And they saw it. These people, these, no Jerusalem living Jew in that time period could say, you know what? I I have not seen a miracle done by this Holy Spirit or heard of at least. They all had seen it. They all have heard it. So they were, they had partaken in what the Holy Spirit could do. And then verse four, he, I mean, seven, he explains it for the earth, which drinks in the rain. See, now, he's talking, this, this is how this fruit comes. It's by receiving it in. The earth which drinks it in, that often the rain that comes and then bears the herb useful, that's, that's what we're, it has to come in. You have to receive it. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's cursed and it's to be burned. And so what I hear him saying is like, look, guys, if you've tasted it, you, it, you've had it in your mouth, but you, if you're going to spit it out, you're not going to go to the frozen food sec- the frozen section and get some for yourself. You're just tasting what's on the toothpick. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go to have forgiveness of your sins? There is no other place to go. It's only in Him. For, uh, as He explains, the earth which drinks it in. This idea of a thirsty land that hasn't received any water for months, all of a sudden it rains. That land knows what to do. It receives it deep into the land. 
And so his explanation there helps you understand it. But falling away is falling away, in my understanding, of the, of, of re- you, you have the choice to receive this life of Christ, to be born again. You've tasted what it can be. You've even seen what the Holy Spirit can do. You have enough knowledge to know the truth. But if you don't drink it in, like the earth drinking in the rain, then, then there, there's no hope. There is no life. Now, verse 9. I told you, don't let me forget verse 9. But beloved, look at this compassion. We are confident of better things for you. Yeah, things concerning salvation, though we speak in this manner. So he's being very hard, very clear. If you do not receive Christ, if you fall away from grace back into law, there is no hope because it's Christ alone. But we don't think you're going to do that. Hear that compassion? We think better things for you. So so this is really like a, I wouldn't say it's a hypothetical. I mean, it's a a reality that if somebody doesn't receive Christ, they will not be born again. They will not have salvation. But the writer of this is not saying that this is their status. He said, we believe better things for you. Um, So I don't know if that's helpful or not or... Yeah, go ahead. For me, regarding your interpretation of it, because um, I see that you're looking at it as in people have not fully come to faith yet. Uh, I guess the only two things I don't quite fit in with that yet are uh, the talk about crucifying once again the Son of God, and then right after um, verse nine, it, the next ten says uh, talks about them serving the saints. Right, so uh, what was that first part? The you, cru- you crucify. Right, so if so if they are if they fall away, if they if they say this isn't for us, we're not going to receive this. What he's saying: Are you you crucifying again? You're making a public spectacle of Christ again. <clears throat> I hear him saying, "We've gotten to the you, Jesus was publicly humiliated once in Jerusalem at his death." And now you, who he's done this for, you come to the precipice, you see what you've tasted it, you know what he's done for you, and you're going to reject it? Well, you're just, you're just humiliating him all over again. He's done all this for you, and you're just throwing him back up on the cross naked and beaten and humiliated again in the eyes of, of mankind. So that, that could be wrong, but that's what I hear him saying. Like, like imagine the, the utter humiliation of being on a cross as the God of the universe. You're doing, you're doing that again. You're humiliating him again by rejecting him when there is no other form of salvation. Does that make, does that, does that make sense? Um, then, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards him in his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we, there's verse 11, and we desire that each of you to show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope to the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who are those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So how is the promise inherited? Through faith. And so he, he wants them to, to realize that it is faith. It's always going to be faith. It's faith alone. But what does faith, as we talked about, what was it, the last two Sundays at the end of Titus? 
our new heart growing more aware of our new identity because of faith, who we are, our new life in Christ, what is the natural outcome of that? It is good works. So what was our phrase a couple weeks ago? That good works is not the fertilizer for intimacy with God, but is the fruit of intimacy with God. And so he's saying, look, there is a fruit, and I want that fruit to grow, but it's not what's going to make you okay. Law, law coming for, you know, thinking that obedience to the law makes you okay. The good works come as a result of that. And so he's like, I want the work. I want the labor. I want that to continue. But that is a result of this faith in the inheritance of these promises. Um, so, I, so that's, that's my... I don't even know. The question is, have they even placed their faith in Christ? I think that's the tension with the audience in, in, um, because see in chapter four, he says, there's a promise. There's a promise. He's, he's correlating. um, And I thought about going through Hebrews again, much quicker than we did last time. Because we did, it's like 18 months, maybe do like a chapter, a Sunday, you know, quicker. Um, and so maybe we will, because this is really good stuff here. Um, but in chapter 4, he, he correlates, them, like I did in my prayer earlier, the children of Israel going into the promised land. He correlates that. There's a better promised land who is Christ. And remember how Moses did not lead the children of Israel into the promised land? He, he didn't. Uh, he, he actually was, well, nobody knows where he was buried. Um, but he, he actually died seeing the promised land, but he, a picture of the law, did not lead them into the promised land. Joshua led them in. Joshua's name means, is, is Yahshua. It's what we get Jesus. Jesus and Joshua is the same Hebrew name. So it was Jesus, the Old Testament Joshua, who led them into the promised land. He's saying that was all a shadow, a picture of the real promised land who is Christ himself. So he says this promise remains, chapter 4, verse 1, of entering the real rest. Let us fear if, we, if any of us come short of it. So here's the real deal. There's a real rest. It's not about Palestine, land of Canaan. It's actually Christ. And we need to be uh, very concerned whether or not we've actually stepped into this promised land. For indeed, the gospel was preached as well to them. He's talking about the, the Israelites of years ago. But the word which they heard did not profit them. They didn't believe it. Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Remember the spies? What was it, 12 spies? I forget how many spies it was. Go into the, they survey it, and only two said we can, man, we could take it. I mean, God promised it. But the other spies, however many it was, 10 or the remaining balance, we're like grasshoppers to them. We can't go in there. And so as a result, the punishment for that was they wandered for 40 years until that whole generation died off. And so there was an opportunity in the Old Testament for faith to be exercised and to go into the promised land and have it. But they didn't. They were scared. And so he's saying, look, we need to learn from them so that we can enter into the real rest. Uh, although the works uh, were finished from the foundation of earth, for, verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. The seventh day, this is the rest, you know, think of creation. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, he says, they shall not enter my rest. So there's this rest that even from creation was established that was a shadow of Christ. But the nation of Israel didn't believe it when they came out of Egypt. 
And so this promise remains, is what the writer is saying. If they had done it, then that would have fulfilled that promise. But the promise is still out there. It's kind of like, um, what's a good example? I don't know if this is a good example or not. I'm intrigued by like how if Craig sends me a text and my phone is off, the text is out there. I don't know how it works. It could be out there for three weeks. And then I turn my phone on and what comes in? The text. It's kind of like this promise was made way back before Israel, but they didn't cash it in. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, guys, look, there's a promise that remains out there. There's a text message that hasn't been received. And it's Christ. And if we enter into his rest, that's why he says later in that chapter, don't harden your heart. This is right now. We can rest, make every effort to now enter into this rest in Christ. Um, so the, the promise has to be mixed with faith. And that's where we are today. He's promised it, whosoever calls. But it has to be mixed with faith. We have to believe it in order to enter in. Is that helpful? Maybe? But if it's just read in little bits and pieces, it could sound like people who are born again, born of the Spirit, if they do enough sinning, they're out. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all. Uh, in fact, Hebrews is saying the exact opposite. <laughs> but yet Hebrews is used by a lot of people to say, oh, look, you can lose your salvation. Yeah, please. Um, the, in chapter 6 and 4, where it says made partakers, I'm looking at the old Okay. Okay. So it's, um, if you think about how they're translated to English differently, right? but um, they're really the same word, then that might help a little bit. Yeah. So it's like they saw the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they, they can't deny it. I mean, they saw, th- there is no denying what this whole, the, the reality of this Holy Spirit. It's, he was illuminated. He was revealed. You saw, you part, you, you guys saw the same thing Peter saw. But yet he's believing it and you're not. I, that's, that's how I, I think that's what you're uh, uh, agreeing with. Yeah. Um, awesome. Awesome. But that, that one chapter, that's why, in my opinion, so many pastors and churches don't even dare touch Hebrews. Because they don't want to run the risk of trying to say that you are losing your salvation or, you know, something like that. It's just so unnecessarily avoided because that's, in my opinion that's not it's, it's exactly opposite he's actually building a case that says but, it, but I believe better things for you there's, there's something better here that it, when it's mixed with faith it's a done deal signed, sealed and delivered oh so let's continue chapter 6 um, but with, through uh, chapter 12 that those through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right? So they don't fall back. They don't fall back into the law. They actually jump all in like the rain is, re- is received by the ground. They drink it in. They receive it. They be born again. For, verse 13, again, those FORs. I know we talk about the FORs a lot at our church, and we should. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater name, he swore by himself, 
So this promise isn't even a promise. God's swearing by the, by the mountains of Arab, I swear. Well, what if somebody comes in and dynamites the mountains of Arab, right? I don't know if mountains of Arab is a place. I'm just saying. He, he swore by, there's nothing greater, so he swore by his own name. So this new covenant is a promise based on God's very own name, not on anything of creation. And so the whole point of chapter 6, or you know, the whole book, but chapter 6 here, is that there's this oath that God has made, and he's not going to renege it. He's not going back. It's signed, sealed, delivered um, by these two immutable things, verse 18, which is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation, those of us who have fled the law to take refuge in Christ. It, it, it's actually teaching the exact opposite of fear. Oh, did I do too much sin and have I fallen away from grace because I sinned? It's teaching the exact opposite. It's teaching this is all based upon his promise to himself. Oh, yeah, God cannot lie. And oh, yeah, God cannot lie. Two unchangeable things. Awesome. What else? Anything else? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard you speak about the gifts of the Spirit. Like in First uh, Corinthians 12, it talks mm-hmm. about the gifts of the Spirit, like the, um, the message of knowledge to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy. Do you think that's mm-hmm. all yeah. able to be done today? I, I, I have no... I have no reason to say no. I know there are many that do say no. They say, oh, well, the, the, these gifts continue, these gifts stop, and they have reason to say so, and if you believe that, then that's, that's fine. Um, but I, uh, I might differ in how I define a gift from perhaps maybe a, a, a Pentecostal or something along those lines, um, but the gifts of the Spirit are for the body of Christ. So, um, um, so, uh, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Okay, so one person is given the ability to, to, to look at things and to discern, to know what is profitable, what's not profitable. And the Spirit of God inspires that individual for the purpose of the body. Let's say we're in a place in our church where we're trying to make a decision about, I don't know, purchasing land or something. I don't know. Well, I would hope that in that moment, there is men and women who are very wise in that process, who can discern, like, this isn't, this isn't a good way to move. This is a good way to move. Also, in wisdom concerning just the gospel. Um, and so, each one of these, so wisdom, um, uh, faith, you know, you met, obviously all of us have to believe in order to be born again, but there are some people who, like, they're, you just sit there like, wow, what faith this person has to believe. That's for the edification of the body, for to encourage us all to have that depth of faith and understanding. Gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Why in the world would I say, no, no, God isn't going to heal anybody at all. The, the emphasis is the Holy Spirit is the one who is on display. Now, that gets abused, doesn't it, by TV people and, you know, different groups. 
uh, you know, come down forward and, you know, all this sort of stuff. It gets abused and it gets marketed and it get, becomes a financial uh, increase for some by faking it. And, you know, we've seen all of the, you know, Entertainment Tonight exposés on, you know, these fake things. But does that mean that God is not in and able and still in the healing business? Of course not. I mean, I've seen, you guys probably have seen, people who have been prayed for who last week the MRI had masses in their body and next week when they're about to have the surgery that I've even, the doctor goes in to take out the mass and the mass isn't even there. Well, is that just coincidence? I don't think so. I think God is in the healing business. But I don't think our job is to try to manage those things. I think our job is to edify and encourage one another. Um, and, and, so, and prophecy, I think prophecy is proclaiming the truth. In the Old Testament, uh, prophets were like, um, this is what the Lord has said, Right? And, and prophesying usually a future event. Well, in the New Testament, we're, we're, as a, we're prophesying, we're proclaiming something that has happened. And, and I don't know if it's in this passage or another. I think it's in another where he talks about the gift of the prophet. It, prophecy is consoling and edifying and encouraging, encouraging the brethren. Um, in our counseling ministry, that's what I do. I edify, I encourage, and I uh, ed, uh, incur, uh, and, uh, console Believers in what Jesus has done, trying to remind them of the gospel. I see that as a New Testament gift of prophecy, reminding what has happened. Not, not, not trying to predict something that hasn't happened. That's not, I don't think, New Testament prophecy. It's this is what has happened. We can't see it clearly, but it's what happened. Are we going to believe it or not? Um, and so tongues, we've, we, Jim did a message on tongues a while back. Um, I personally uh, do not believe that tongues is um, this, this modern-day concept of, and I could be wrong, huge asterisk, I could be wrong, of what, what we could politely call ecstatic utterance. I believe that the gift of tongues was a gift used and, and, and made possible by the Holy Spirit for one person to be able to speak another language that they were not trained in in order to communicate the gospel to the unbelieving culture. That's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. Peter speaks in his native tongue, probably Aramaic, and all of those people who were there heard it in their own native tongue. There was no um, angel language or you know, ecstatic utterance. He was speaking his language. The Holy Spirit translated it, and they heard it in their language. I think that's the gift of tongues. It's a known language. I could be dead wrong on that, but that's my understanding. I don't, I, 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 so I pray when we go to Guatemala and we've gone to different places, Costa Rica, I, I pray, you know, we have these interpreters, but would it not be awesome, Lord, if we didn't need these guys and we could just speak the gospel and they hear it? I think he's, he did it. And if he did it next too, why could he not do it now? Now I have not witnessed that, but I think he's, able to do it and he's probably those things are probably more likely to happen when the gospel goes into a totally unreached area where they've not even heard the name of Jesus right when, and that's what I'm saying no, no uh, person to, to translate no translator but 
Um, but I don't know. I've not, I've not been in that situation personally. So the, I've been in places where they say, well, let's don't really worry about the gifts of the Spirit because I've even read a book called uh, The Holy Spirit, The Forgotten God or something like that, you know. Um, and I've been in places where it's only about the gifts of the Spirit. That's, only, that's the whole purpose of the church existing is for these gifts. I think both are missing. It's the, the purpose of the church isn't the gifts, but we ought not deny the gifts. The gifts are there to edify. So let's don't make a big deal about it. Let's just grow in, our, in the revelation of Christ in us, and he is able to gift us individually, almost even organically, to edify the body. We don't have to, like, study, okay, well, I think I have this gift. Let me work on this gift. Do I have that gift? Do you... I'm not saying that's unbeneficial. It's just we put too much focus, I think, on the gifts instead of on Christ, who is the giver of the gift to manifest his life through us. Um, in other words, we can be organically living this life of Christ together. And someone could come up to you, man, I really believe, Mary Rose, you have the gift of encouragement. How awesome would it be for her to say, well, awesome. I don't really know exactly what all that means, but that's, I'm just doing what I know the Spirit of Christ is inspiring me to do, to encourage other people. And so that's, because again, sometimes it's all about the, the, the gift, the gift, the gift. Do you have the gift? And sometimes I think that's what's happening in, even in Corinth, where they're making things about the gift. And, and Paul's like, that's not even the greater gift. The greater gift is, you know, prophecy or proclaiming the truth. You guys are putting tongues up here, and that's not really what it's about. And he also says in chapter 13, he says, look, we can have all these gifts, but if we don't have love, guess what? Yeah, we, we are a resounding gong, a clinging symbol. We have no value. The gift isn't the point. It's the love of Christ in us. Exactly, exactly. So I don't deny him by any stretch, but I would love to see them more organically manifested as you and I grow more aware of the life that we now have in Christ and let him living his life through us as opposed to be like, because the gifts can actually become commands, right? It, it can actually be turned into, the, gift, the, the fruit of the spirit can become commands. Be loving, be joyful, be patient, be. They're not commands, it's fruit, it's manifestation of Christ. And so I certainly don't deny him and I certainly don't say it's all about, that's what it's all about. I just say, let us grow in Christ and watch him manifest his life, which are, include all the gifts. It's him. So I think somebody could have the gift of this today and the gift of that tomorrow. I don't think we are pigeonholed into a specific gift. Maybe we are. I could be wrong on that. But um, does that help answer some of the thoughts on that? It's a great question. Really great question. Yeah. some points it almost seemed like the gifts were then like another level of spirituality to attain and I guess that gets into whether you think that there is a second baptism of the spirit or whether you receive it all when you accept Christ I think you'd be in the, the second baptism. right but absolutely yeah. here, and that's kind of what I'm starting to, to see is that if you focus too much on the gifts it then becomes you know you're not focused on works for salvation now this is your proof of right. <laughs> salvation not out of Faith and it yeah. becomes for, more for your 
yourself instead of, as you said, the edification of the body. Right. Yeah, great, great word. Yeah. So it, here, here's, here's what really sealed it for me as far as like the baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. Or even, even believer's baptism, right? Which I'm all for believer's baptism, you know, in water, right? I'm all for that. But Paul himself says, I think to the Corinthians, he said, I didn't come to you to baptize people. Now, I did baptize this family and that family. And he writes on, oh, let me forget, I, I, I baptized that family. But Paul didn't even come to baptize people. And many groups say, well, unless you're baptized in water, you're not actually born again. Well, then what in the world is Paul not out there baptizing every single person? And so we, we so that was a, one of those sort of, man, that's a nail in the coffin. Paul wasn't even um, himself sent. He said, I was not sent to baptize. Wow. Well, then maybe it's a great thing, and I encourage anyone who has been born of the Spirit to be baptized because it's a great testimony of our new life in Christ, but it is not what produces salvation. It's, it's Christ alone. Because if we get down that road, Ryan, of, of well, now, it, it, this, you have to do this, whether it be baptized in water or if it's this baptism in the Spirit thing or if it's speaking in tongues thing or if it's giving 10% of your income, you know, whatever the add-ons are, where does that end? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, where does that end? And I think that is the great deception that the Galatians were under. They said, you started off so well receiving this by the faith and the, by the promise that the Spirit provided, and now you're trying to perfect this by the flesh, by even circumcising yourselves? Yeah. Have you done enough? Yeah. Have you done enough? And the focus is certainly not on Christ. It's on you. Have you done enough? So um, now, again, obedience or the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, that is going to come from us as a fruit of Christ in us. So nobody from this pulpit, pulpit, whatever this is called, nobody is saying, hey, let's go out and sin. That's, that's the most foolish conclusion. It is let me see who I really am. Oh, wow, I'm blameless, I'm righteous, I'm redeemed, I'm rescued, I'm new, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Wow, that's who I really am? Wow. So what does that make me want to do? Go rob the liquor store? No. It makes me want to do who I am. So, um, cool. Any other thoughts? Questions? Uh, anything? We've got a few more minutes, yeah. Hopefully this is a quick one, but when I was um, researching on the postmodernism topic, I read through a ton of Proverbs because there were a bunch of gems in there, but I was wondering, there are a few things that definitely struck me as, well, this was like blatantly obviously written pre-Christ, so there are certain like things that slip into law or do this and you will be blessed with riches and all that in this life. Yeah. I wonder, is there a lens or is there a filter or is there a red flag with which we should read Proverbs. Um, yeah, great question. Because there's still a lot of, obviously, like, I guess has God's definition of wisdom changed right. pre, post, yeah. Christ and the new covenant? Or is there still, like, a same concrete, absolute, worldly wisdom that is constant throughout? Yeah. No, it's a great, great question. If you didn't hear it, is Proverbs still beneficial for the believer? You know, even though it's Old Covenant, Old Testament, can we benefit from it in the, being in the New Covenant? I think certainly, because, but it, the lens is Christ. Isn't there, does Paul not say that the wisdom of God is Christ? 
Is that, am I just thinking that? Maybe somebody can Google that for us real quick. I didn't, again, I don't have my tablet. It broke. But um, he is our wisdom. I think Paul says he is our wisdom and our sanctification. You know, uh, Christ is our wisdom, I think is what it says. And so, yeah, it has to be through that lens of Christ and his finished work. And so if we come across, uh, I mean, here's a great example. It's not Proverbs, all right, but it's Moses. Um, uh, the, the, uh, Genesis, I'm guessing. But in, did you find it? First Corinthians one thirty. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Yeah. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. There you go. So Christ is our wisdom, you know, which is beautiful. But in Romans, I want to say ten, don't quote me, okay? You can look it up on your own. Paul actually quotes Moses talking about how the, uh, the, let me try to go to it. It'll be better for us. Um, he actually changes the words of Moses because he says, faith does not speak that way. Um, I wish I had my iPad, I could just type these things in, I'm sorry. Um, but he, he's quoting who will go down, who will go up to heaven and receive it, who will go down to the depths of Hades and receive, you know, he says faith does not speak that way. And he connects it to Jesus as Jesus being the one who went to heaven and went to Hades and it's, it's Jesus. So Paul, look at Romans 10.5 Oh Um, yeah, that's it. So Romans uh, verse six, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way, not the way Moses spoke, but it speaks this way. And so Paul is actually changing the words of Moses there. He's correcting Moses because correct Moses didn't see, right? He didn't know what, what Christ was to do. So I would say a quick answer is as we read through the Old Testament, and I encourage us all too, because it's all a revelation of Christ. Jesus says, Moses wrote about me, John chapter 5. And so when we read it, our very, whether it's Psalms, whether it's Ecclesiastes, in some places it's super easy to see it. Other places it's really hard to see how it reveals Christ. But we have to ask the question, how is this revealing Jesus? How does this teach us about Christ? Because if we don't ask that as at least the first question, then we're, we're, we're going to end up in some other field trying to manage behavior and modify sins in our lives uh, because it's, we're trying to perform in a certain way. Um, but I think all of Scripture, whether, I mean, Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture, and, and Scripture at that point is just the Old Testament, is profitable for teaching us how righteousness works. It's all there but it was hidden and it's now been made known. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely, I, I just told April the other day, the other night we were falling asleep in bed. I said, you know, I haven't read through Proverbs in a long time. Um, well, I, I would be very curious to. I was looking for some nuggets on truth or wisdom and I just couldn't stop reading it. Yeah. So I was obviously like, it felt weird reading verses and being like, you. Yeah. Like, right. I couldn't use that one today. Right. 
it, it just feels weird like splicing out ones that are so blatantly Old Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. But from Paul to say, he sets the precedent. He says, faith does not speak that way. That's certainly how Solomon spoke, because that was the covenant under which he spoke. But faith doesn't speak that way. Um, but does that mean we throw it away? No. We, we see it, it, almost we say, thank God. <laughs> That's not how faith speaks. Because otherwise we'd be toast. Because I didn't do all those things that Proverbs says you need to do. Um, I don't think anybody has. Um, there was one question here that was submitted. We didn't gotten to any of these. Um, and I know our time is fleeting. What time does somebody have? Is it quarter after? I mean, quarter? 2038. Huh? 7.38. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me hit this one real quick, if that's all right. There, and there's a ton. Maybe, maybe I will turn these into, like, some teachings over the next rest of the summer, maybe. I don't know if it works for me. What do you, but why do you think the apostles were all male? Right? Because they were. The apostles were all male. Before I share some thoughts, I'm sure there are going to be thoughts that you guys have as well. Does anybody have some thoughts off the top of your head before I share some of my thoughts on this? Why were they all male? Yeah, that's the big deal, in my, in my opinion. That's the big deal. You think of a Jewish culture. Women were just a little bit more valuable than property uh, or, or, or animals. I don't even know if they're as valuable as property, quite frankly. Um, Thank God, that's not the way of the new covenant, right? But uh, I, I have a quote from a, a rabbi. Uh, uh, I can't say the name. E-L-I-E-Z-E-R. I don't know. Let the words, listen, this is a quote from this rabbi. Let the words of the law be burned rather than they should be delivered to a woman. So that's the concept. That's a mindset of women, at least under that culture, in Judaism. That wouldn't, and, it, and it ought not go well today. But think about Jesus in that culture, a very misogynist, you know, whatever, uh, patriarchal uh, society. When, I think it was Mary, anointed his feet just days before his crucifixion. Do you remember what Jesus said about that woman, about Mary? He says, everywhere the gospel is proclaimed, what? She will be honored, remembered. A woman? That's, that is flipping that system on its head, right? When Jesus was first raised from the dead, who were, what gender was it that saw Jesus first raised from the dead? What gender was it that told the apostles? These men. They weren't apostles yet, they were disciples, but they became apostles. Who what? It was women. In fact, women weren't even allowed to testify in the court. But yet God sovereignly chose to reveal the resurrection of Jesus to women first. So absolutely what Dana said, they are un... In that culture, they were not valued societally speaking. But I see the gospel flipping that upside down completely. Um, and you ever thought about it? you went to look for Christ first? Yeah, the, the, they went to anoint his body, right, exactly. And there were multiple women leaders within the early church. Yep, yep. I've, I've got their names, their names um, here. To, to, yeah, right, right, yeah. So, um, but Acts chapter 2, when Paul, Peter is preaching, this is the, the 
first day, if you want to think of it, of the, the, the new church, right, the, the church age. He quotes Joel in Acts chapter 2, says, Joel says, Joel from the way, you know, in the Old Testament prophet, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so there was a huge shift. And I don't know if we have time to get into why certain denominations and groups, both Catholic and Protestant groups, say women are of great value, but you can't do what men can do in these certain areas. I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, well, I do know why, because they go to Scripture and they, they defend that. But Joel from the Old Testament says, In these days, your sons and your daughters in equality will prophesy in these last days. But outside of Judaism, you see a lot of women leadership in the early church. Priscilla, remember Aquila and Priscilla? They were faithful church planters, basically. Uh, Junia, uh, Yodia, Synthache, Lydia, tons of, of these women who Paul mentioned basically saying, without these, we would not be doing what we're doing. Um, there are some passages, and I don't have time. We we're really we're probably out of time. But there are some passages, 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, that you could go to and you could read some verses that say things like, women must remain silent in the church and go ask your husband at home if you have a question. Well, that sounds like Paul is the, you know, classic, you know, Jew saying women have no value in that system. Maybe we'll pick up on this in, in, in the coming weeks because, again, we're just out of time. I don't want to hold you guys, you know, all, all afternoon. But, um, but then that same Paul talks about Lydia, talks about Synthache, talks about all these other women who are teaching in the churches. So what is it, Paul? Either we're misunderstanding what Paul said or we have to deny what Paul did. I say we're misunderstanding what Paul is writing because remember these letters like to the Corinthians and to, to, to Timothy, we only have Paul's side of that conversation. Paul, 1 Corinthians, he says over and over, now concerning gifts, now concerning marriage, now concerning X, Y, and Z. They had apparently written Paul a bunch of questions. Hey, Paul, so what about this? What about this? What about this? And so he's writing them back saying, now, concerning this that you wrote about, here, here's my, sometimes he says, this is of the Lord, not of me. This, this is my thoughts. I haven't received something from the Lord on this. And so there's, there's give and take in some of this. But it seems to me that we could either realize that we don't, fully understand some of those passages where he says very plainly that women are to not speak and not even, you know, whatever. Or we have to deny his empowerment of women to teach and speak in the local church. Um, it's easier for me to say, look, let's, let's and, and, and I, we just don't have time for it. I think there's easy understanding and explanation for it that we'll look at in the future weeks, perhaps, if you want to. It's so much easier to see, wow, Perhaps we were misunderstanding what he's saying here. It's a whole lot easier to, to come. Then it's, it's impossible to deny how he empowers women in the early church because he does it. And he, and he tells people to listen to him. So for me, um, 
it is why were they apostles? Why were the male those were Jews? And it just it would not in that culture it wouldn't fly. I mean, it just would not fly. But outside of that culture, in the Gentile circles, you see women prophets, prophetesses. You know, I mean, it's it's undeniable. And for us in certain denominations to hold women only to certain levels of leadership and whatnot seems a little short-sighted, but I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong on that. Um, what time we got now? Is it probably time we need to pack up? Oh, yeah. Gosh, it's quarter till. Sorry. Um, is this helpful in some ways? Encouraging? You want to do this again sometime? You know? Yeah? Okay. So um, feel free to use that little link, questions.lifejourneyva.com, if you want to submit a question at any time, because, you know, I'm happy to just keep teaching through, you know, we just finished up Titus, you know, just te- teaching through the scriptures. I mean, I love doing that, but I also want to make sure that, and we always have time at the end for any Q&A, you know, but sometimes, especially during summer when people are traveling, it might just be best to just see what's, see what's itching out there, you know, see if we can scratch something. All right. Cool. Love you guys. And let me pray for us. And uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I, I pray that this morning is um, edifying and encouraging in some sort of way. I love the, um, the genuineness of these moments. No pretense. You know, we're, we, we all have questions. And I, I hope above everything in my, in my answers that I've shared, I, I hope that these fellow saints have heard, uh, look, don't take my word for it. You have the same spirit. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. And because that's true learning, we learn from the grace of God. And you have gifted, yes, like Katrina was saying, we've been gifted to encourage, to to teach, to, to edify, yes, the body. But Jesus also says, call no man your teacher, for it is the spirit of God himself that is our teacher. And so let us listen to him it's just too easy to just say, oh, well, this is what pastor so-and-so said, and so therefore that's it. No, that's not the way it should work. So let us all seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us in this truth. Help us to discern the truth of the gospel versus all these imitations thereof. For even though we in this small fellowship We hold fast to the teaching of the the apostles and the early church and, and the truth of the finished work of Christ. But we also have so much mixed religious thinking in our minds that must be renewed by your gospel. And we thank you for this journey that we are on. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great, great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.